Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence uh, with us. Thank you for the gift of music that uh, allows us, God, to give voice to our hearts. Uh, But we recognize that music, as it sticks in our head, also uh, has the the tremendous potential of forming us and shaping us. So, so God, thank you for uh, the gift of music that we've experienced this morning. Uh, But we also thank you, God, for the gift of your word, uh, the words written in Scripture, the word made flesh, who is Jesus Christ. God, may we have an encounter with the word today. Uh, God, show us, uh, teach us, give us wisdom, uh, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I promise I'm going to read you scripture, but it it might take us a little while to get there. I want to do some review this morning. Uh, As you know, or many of you know, we've been, uh, over the course of uh, the last several months, we've been walking through the Gospel of John, taking small breaks here and there. Uh, But uh, we are bringing it in for a landing. Next Sunday is our last Sunday in the Gospel of John. Uh, And that's good. I was hoping for silence or moans rather than a break of applause. So that's very good. Uh, That's exactly what I wanted. So we've been in John a long time. And we spent the last two weeks uh, talking about uh, the cross. And today I have the privilege of talking to you uh, about what follows the cross, which is, of course, the resurrection. Uh, The reality is you cannot divorce the two. Any conversation about the cross is also a conversation about resurrection. And any conversation about resurrection is also inherently a conversation about the cross. You cannot divorce the two ideas. Because resurrection simply isn't possible without the cross. And uh, the cross without the resurrection is just a dead and failed Messiah like so many who had gone before Jesus. Uh, And so since since we can't talk about resurrection without talking about the cross, I want to quickly review where we've been over the past couple of weeks as we've centered our attention on talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how if if the cross is really central to our faith, uh, then we have to allow the cross to form and shape our thinking about God, about others, and about ourselves. And, And Primarily what we said is we, we need to understand that the cross is the expression of God's love. And so if we, if we begin to understand it, that this is a revelation of who God is, we need to understand that God is, is love. Everything he does is uh, a care, it flows out of his character of love. But we also need to allow it to shape our thinking about other people, that Christ has died for all people, whomever will call on him by faith. Uh, which essentially means that, that whatever uh, boundaries and, and, and divisions that we try to draw artificially among one another, uh, we need to recognize that we are all part of a shared humanity. We have shared humanity with all people. And the cross shows us this. But the cross also forms our thinking about ourselves. We live in a culture of, of competition and comparison. Um, I am convinced that with the, rise, the quick rise of social media, we are in a gigantic uh, human experiment. We don't know the long-term uh, effects. We don't know the long-term anything about social media. Uh, but one of the things that we're noticing right away is, is that we tend to put our best selves online. And then when we look at everyone else's best selves, we compare our worst moments to their best moments. And then it leads to all sorts of damage personally, right? How many of you have taken a break from Facebook because you're like, I just can't handle it anymore, 
right? Amen, right? And so what we do is, uh, what, what we need to allow is if the cross is going to become central to our thinking and form our thinking about ourselves, we need to recognize that we are intimately loved by the Creator, uh, there are no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no qualifications. Uh, there are no comparisons. There is nothing but God's love toward you uh, demonstrated in the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, and I can tell you, this is a struggle. This is a struggle. Um, but let's allow the cross to be formative in our thinking. Last week, what we talked about is we took a more of a teaching approach, and we learned that the cross is not... God killing his son because that is the only way that his wrath could be satisfied. But rather we talked about how the cross is God in Christ, fully identifying with the human experience, even unto death in order to redeem us. Uh, My hope is that your thinking last week was challenged uh, a little bit. Uh, hopefully you had something to chew on during this week and, and, and ultimately saw the real beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This, this isn't a, the, the gospel is not about an angry God trying to appease, get his wrath appeased, but rather it is the all-loving God expressing himself in Christ as he enters into death uh, in order to redeem us. Uh, in order to help us kind of get... Uh, get there and and come to that conclusion. We talked about the significance of Christ saying that he is thirsty on the cross. And also we looked at the seven signs in the gospel of John. If you remember way back when, uh, when we talked about Jesus in John chapter two, turning the water into wine at the wedding in Cana, I said, pay attention this year. We're going to look at the signs uh, of John and the signs of God's glory of which this is the first. And so we, we took some time to review that the seven signs of God's glory in the gospel of John are the water into wine, the second one, healing of the nobleman's son, third, the healing of the the man at the pool of Bethesda, the fourth sign is the feeding of the 5,000, the fifth sign, the healing of the man born blind, the sixth sign, raising Lazarus from the dead, and then the seventh sign uh, is the crucifixion itself. And what each of these does is it reveals to us the glory of God, and it gives us hints about what God is like or what God desires. But what I didn't mention last week, and I want to make sure we understand this week, is this. That these signs, these miracles, these, 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 these breaking in of God's presence in order to reveal his glory, these signs are meant to broaden and expand our imaginations in order to see the world as it could be. And we need that more than ever, do we not? In the world in which we live, we need God to broaden our imaginations, sanctify our imaginations, so that when we look at the the landscape of culture and all the division and hate and things that are going on, we can cry out in great faith and in hope, oh God, would you give me eyes to see the world as it does not exist, but as you intend. Would you give me the imagination to see the world as you intend it? Uh, If you have uh, seen the... Uh, this is a spoiler alert, but it's an old mo- older movie. Isn't it funny? Like after movies are out for a year, they're like old. Um, that's how fast our world is moving and how fast the cycle goes. Uh, but the, this old movie, the live action Cinderella, if you've seen it, uh, my family watched it this week. And one of the primary themes that they try to build into the character of Esther or Cinderella is uh, they're trying to build in that she uniquely has this ability to see the world as it is not yet, or to see the world as it could be. And they build that theme in through the whole thing. And I think, I just thought, man, that's a tremendous picture 
of our job as the people of God. To see the world as it could be. And that's what these signs are helping us to do. Uh, These signs are, 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 are on one hand revealing to us the glory of God. This is what God is like. This is what's important to God. This points us to the character of who God is. But on the other hand, oh God, would you broaden our imaginations to see the world as it could be. Um, we also framed it this way. There are seven days of creation and seven signs of new creation. And at the final sign, Jesus cries, it is finished. As an indication that the work of salvation is now complete, uh, that, that in Jesus' death, this new creation of which we've had signs all along has begun, it has been inaugurated, uh, all of humanity has now been reconciled to God, all we need to do now is respond in faith. It is finished. This, this declaration, this cry from the cross. Uh, and then, that's it. Fade to black, roll the credits, and don't forget to turn in your 3D glasses. Um, right? <laughs> No, no, no. There's more to the story, and that's what we want to read this morning. And so I invite you to turn your Bibles, uh, in your Bibles to John chapter 20. Uh, I want to read the first 18 verses this morning. John chapter 20, uh, the first 18 verses. I won't ask you to stand, but I will ask you to respond. Uh, after the reading, I'm going to say this is the word of God for the people of God, to which I invite you to respond, thanks be to God, in a loud, uh, boisterous, your best amen voice, okay? Because we're thankful for God's word uh, given to us in Scripture that points us infallibly to the person of Jesus Christ. That's what this Scripture does. It points us infallibly to the person of of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. So uh, let's, let's look at John chapter 20 together. The first 18 verses. It says this. Uh, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. And so Peter and the other disciples uh, started uh, for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now he bent over and he looked at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was lying in its place separate from the linen. Now finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. But they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Well, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. And then they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Well, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was, in fact, Jesus. And then he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? And who is it that you are looking for? That's an important question. And then thinking that he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, then tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And then Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, 
For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go instead to my brother and tell them, to to your brother, to my brothers, and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And then Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said, the things that he had said to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Amen. I want to remind us again of something we talked about last week. Last week, I feel like, was just a a critical foundation for us to understand uh, what is going on in the gospel and in the gospel narrative. Uh, But I want to remind us again of one more thing, Uh, and and that is this, that, that the primary problem that the gospel is trying to solve is not personal guilt from sin, but rather death. That is to say that our rebellion, the original rebellion in the garden, uh, the rebellion against God broke the shalom in the world. Shalom is, a, is an ancient uh, word meaning peace. Uh, and it means peace in all directions or a wholeness of peace. And so when we, when we look at the, the narrative of, of the creation and then what we have come to call the fall or the rebellion of man, what we need to recognize is that in that moment, in the rebellion, the shalom of God was broken in the world. Where shalom used to exist between, between God and man, man and man, man and creation, like there was perfect shalom going in all directions. When we rebelled against God and the ways of God, that shalom was disrupted. It was uh, interrupted. It was broken. And as a result of of broken shalom, broken peace, uh, then death enters into the world. Uh, Death by way of sin. Uh, The Apostle Paul puts it this way, and I mentioned this last week as well, but the Apostle Paul says the wage or the cost of sin is death. In other words, if you walk in the ways of sin, it is going to lead you down a road that, uh, that will lead to death. And so ultimately what, what, the, uh, what, what the gospel is dealing with is the death problem and also the gospel is seeking to restore shalom to all of creation. Of which, of course, dealing with sin is a central part. So when I say that the gospel is not primarily about uh, dealing with uh, guilt because of personal sin. I'm not saying that it doesn't deal with that. I'm saying that it's actually much bigger than that. It's larger than that. There's something else going on. And that ultimately the gospel is trying to seek the problem of death and seeking to restore shalom. Does that make sense? Now, as a result of our rebellion, then all things have come into the world that belong to death. That is to say, with our rebellion... Sin and death came into the world and a whole bunch of other, and he brought all of his friends. Coldplay, I'm sorry about an illustration about Coldplay. Uh, some of you, Coldplay is a love-hate relationship. You either love them or you hate them. Uh, there was a time in my life where I loved them, uh, and, and re- I was reminded of a lyric, of one of their lyrics, and, and it just brought me into this like Coldplay uh, black hole this week. So... Um, uh, but anyway, Coldplay illustrates this wonderfully in their song called Death and All of His Friends. Now, of course, in the context of the song, it's about a love gone wrong because it's Coldplay. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right, that was a joke, very, very under the radar. But, um, but here, here's the lyric, here's the lyric. I, I absolutely love this lyric. Um, I don't want to battle from beginning to end I don't want a cycle of recycled revenge. 
I don't want to follow death and all of his friends. Here we have from a, a, a secular band, gospel truth, right? God owns truth. You can find it in all places. Uh, and, and sometimes on uh, Caleb, you don't find truth. I said that out loud. That's okay. Um, and, and so, but, but let's uh, like, like just kind of recognize that, that truth belongs to God. We can find it anywhere. And here, Coldplay sings this, these beautiful lyrics that perfectly represent uh, truth in the world. I don't want to battle from beginning to end. I don't want a cycle of recycled revenge because I don't want to follow death and all of his friends. You see, what this song recognizes is that following harm with revenge just leads to a cycle of recycled revenge. And this is actually just one illustration of the ways of death. Coldplay is essentially saying, if this is how you live, where you are harmed, and then you just want to harm again, you want to seek revenge, then all, of, all we do personally and corporately on a societal level is just get into a cycle of recycled revenge. And that has never felt more real in our world. No war has ended war. It's, it's tit for tat. You hurt me, I hurt you. Revenge, revenge, revenge. And the only way to, to lose the cycle of recycled revenge is for something else to enter into the picture. Otherwise, we are following death and all of his friends. The, you see, this song perfectly illustrates that there are ways of death in the world. And it turns out that death has a whole bunch of friends. Things like unforgiveness, bitterness, revenge. Things like selfishness, contempt. Or how about this one? Exclusivism. Things like disease, harm, violence, belittling words. Things like greed, overconsumption, gluttony, lust, wrath, sloth. Abuse, corrupt business, unjust practices, oppression, supremacy of race. These are death and all of his friends. And that's a partial list. <laughs> These are the things that belong to death. And as the people of God, I would encourage us to begin to recognize and to have the discernment to look at the world and begin to discern what are the things and what are the ways that belong to death and then what are the things and what are the ways that belong to life. Because as the people of God who come on, on every Sunday morning to worship the resurrected Savior, we should do our best to work against these things in the world. And yet their influence feels so powerful. You know, there are moments, uh, and, and again, this is true personally, this is true corporately, there are moments when we just experience things going on in our life, and we recognize this, these are the things that belong to death. But have you ever been in a place where you were just so captured by that, that you were like, 
I don't even know what to do. Like the, the influence, the, the power of, of that thing felt so real and so powerful and so heavy in that moment. You, you just weren't certain if you could ever crawl out, if there would ever be light at the end of the tunnel, if there would ever be a new day. We, we might lose hope, we sometimes say. I mean, that is the reality. The reality is that these things that belong to death have a, a ton of influence in our world. And, and if you're not on Twitter, that's probably a good thing. Twitter is where people go to be angry. <laughs> it's just where angry people go to hang out. Um, and Facebook's not getting, like, getting there, right? Um, and so the question is, do these things have the final word? Have we no choice but to live with these vices? Have we no choice in the face of harm but to seek revenge? Have we no choice uh, but, but to be lost in that addiction, to, to be lost in that, that thing that just gets us down all the time and we know isn't God's best and we know isn't part of what God would have for us? Is there no answer to a Messiah that came with promises but then died on a cross like so many before him. And while I would say in our heads, we would certainly say, yes, of course. I think there are moments, if we're honest in our lives, where our hearts are asking those questions in a very, very real way. Here's what the, the Apostle John in, the, in his gospel wants to show us. John's definitive answer to these kinds of questions is, yes, there is, in fact, one more sign, an eighth sign. If, if we're going to be left with the completed work of salvation and an inaugurated new creation on the cross, uh, then as readers of the gospel and as livers of the Christian life, what we need is we need evidence of this new world, Right? We need to say, yes, we believe in the power of the cross and we believe all that happened and new creation inaugurated and signs and amen and amen and amen, but give us something tangible, some tangible evidence of this new world to which the resounding answer of the gospel of John is this. Resurrection is the first and defining event of God's new creation. It has arrived and listen, let me tell you, the Jewish mindset was this, that yes, we believe in resurrection. We, we hear that when in, in Jesus' conversation with Mary, who was lamenting and mourning the death of Lazarus. And, and, and Jesus, and she says, well, yeah, I believe that he will rise again at the last day, right? And so the Jewish mindset believes in the reality of resurrection, but they saw history as this kind of straight line that, that stopped and the new creation began. But here we have this unique thing where Jesus does something that wasn't supposed to happen until the end, but he does it right now. In, in other words, Jesus in his resurrection pulls God's future into the present. This is good news. <laughs> this is really good news because death and all of his friends are having a heyday in the world. But the good news of Jesus Christ is God has pulled God's future into the present to start defeating and, and defeating death and bring about the reality that happened on the cross. Are you with me? This is the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And so the, the resurrection for us begins, is in fact the first and defining event of the new creation. In fact, John has set up his entire narrative to make this clear. But in case we weren't catching on to it, he throws in an Easter egg. <laughs> Pun intended, right? The resurrection story, Easter egg. That one again is a slow burn. Um, but when Mary, listen to this, when Mary hears a voice speaking to her on that first Easter Sunday morning, she churns and assumes it is the gardener. In the Greek, what this means literally is wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> Something else is going on here, right? He, she churns and thinks that he's the gardener. John is obviously wanting us to bring our imagination back to the Garden of Eden where Shalom was still intact. And he, but he's saying, but he's not saying, oh, this is just, a, we're just reverting back to this. But rather he's saying, God is doing something brand new. God is on a mission once again to restore shalom in all of creation. And so God wants us to understand that, John wants us to understand that the resurrection verifies and validates the work of salvation on the cross. But now a new world has begun. The new world has landed right here in the midst of the old one. It's a brand new week. It's the eighth day, which is a way of saying it's a Monday, but it's a different kind of Monday. And with resurrection as the first and ultimate sign of this new creation, what this is showing us is this. The old creation had a death problem, but the new one doesn't. I thought for sure I'd get some amens on that one. The old creation had a death problem, but the new one doesn't. Can you, can you get that in our hearts? Can we grab a hold of that? That is amazing news, church. That what God is bringing about and what God is, is birthing in the middle of this one, in the middle of this old creation, is a creation that no longer has a death problem, that you weren't intended for death and you weren't intended for the ways of death, but rather by God at creation as he breathed his image into you, what you were intended for was life and to walk in the ways of life. And what, what resurrection does is it's proof that God's new world is defined by the reversal of the things that belong to death. So instead of bitterness and revenge, in God's new world, you have forgiveness. And instead of selfishness and exclusivism, in God's new world, you have self-sacrificial love made available to all people. And instead of disease and harm, in God's new world, you have healing and wholeness. Instead of violence and belittling words, in God's new world, you have peace. Instead of oppression, freedom. Instead of abuse, care. Instead of greed, generosity. You see, God... The, the, the resurrection is proof that God's new world is defined by the reversal of all the things that belonged to death. What that means ultimately is that as we stand here on this little Easter, <laughs> do you know that sometimes throughout history the church has, 
has called each Sunday Little Easters. (laughs) So on this Little Easter, I want to remind you that resurrection means that we are in a world that finds itself in the middle of rescue. Despite all the evidence to the contrary, despite how dark it might get in our personal lives, or as we look out on culture, despite all of the evidence that would say, death is having the day. We can stand here in hope and in faith because of what Christ has done on the cross and what has been verified through the resurrection that we are in a world that is in the middle of rescue. And if we will hold on to that, and if we will recognize that, then that means that we have all the reason in the world to hold on to hope. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place like I have been in my life where you didn't want to hope, where hope didn't seem worth it. All hope seemed lost. What the resurrection shows us and what the resurrection reminds us is that hope is not lost. It is never lost in a world where Jesus Christ got up from the grave. And it is so easy. It is so easy to lose hope. It is so easy to become cynical. It is so easy to look at the world with, with a lens of anger and cynicism than a lens of love and forgiveness. God, would you help us? Would you help us to know that you are right in the midst of rescue. I don't know where you're at today, but man, I just wonder if that is a word for someone going through some stuff today. That the good news and the word that God wants to share with you is that you are in the middle of rescue. And it might get worse before it gets better, but there is never reason to lose hope because we live in a world that has absolutely changed forever. When a dead man got out of the grave. Let me say it this way. Death and all of his friends are getting kicked to the curb. (laughs) And that's good news. And I think this has come through, but man, I just want to say, I want to be an honest preacher, you know? I want to be an honest preacher. I want to share good news. Um, But I think sometimes, I think sometimes we feel like the only way to hold on to hope is to not be in touch with reality. Um, And so I want to be an honest preacher who's who's real and, and, and recognizes reality, but calls us and invites us into hope. And so I say this, For all this talk about resurrection, the reality is death still seems really present. The the ways of death still seem really real in our lives. And and rather than either being honest and, and feeling like we have to let go of hope or trying to hold on to hope and feel like we have to let go of reality, I wonder if we could come to this, this recognition today that says this, that we live in this overlap uh, between death and resurrection. 
that at any given point in our lives and in the world, there are whole scores of evidence that would point us to life and resurrection and a whole score of evidence that would point us to the ways of death and all of his friends. And we live in this like push-pull. What are we supposed to do with that? What are we supposed to do with a world where you can look here and see death, but look over there and see life and beauty and resurrection? Well, I think a key question for us and the question that I invite you to ask in your life today is this. Which one do you want to live by? Another way of asking that is where do you belong? Where does your life belong? To which I would say, you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've done that. Your eternity is not in question, but there are ways in which that you could be walking in the ways of death. And so you live sort of in this like, you don't feel fully alive, and I should be fully alive. I'm a, I'm a son and daughter of the king. But there's this tension, this, this pull. And you might be walking in the ways of, of, of death. And in fact, I would say discipleship is just learning to live more and more in light of resurrection. What is Christian maturity? Learning to live more and more in light of resurrection. That's it. What is, what is holiness? What are, what are all these like, things that we talk about? Discipleship, that's a fancy church word. It's, it's learning to say, oh God, help me to live in light of resurrection more and more. Help me to learn to live in your life and live in your truth that when I'm tempted toward greed and when I'm tempted toward these things that belong to death, help me to live in light of life and truth and beauty and resurrection. And you know what? Sometimes you'll find yourself, hey, I got this down. I'm doing pretty well. And then you wake up. <laughs> or then that coworker comes. And man, or you have an encounter with your boss or your marriage starts falling apart. And then all of a sudden, it's just again learning, how do I live in the light of life and resurrection? How do I bring, how do I align myself with the light and the life that God is bringing in the midst of this situation? How do I align myself with the rescue that is happening? Are you with me? As a people of God, we are invited to live in light of resurrection, but here's here's something we've done in the church. We um, We have said that living in light of resurrection means that you just always gotta be happy. And so we've equated the, the two. Um, hope, life, resurrection means a smile. Uh, and that has created a whole culture where it's like, as we come to gather on all of these little Easter's, it's like, man, you better put on your resurrection smile. Right? Uh, because otherwise you're not living in the light of resurrection. Uh, I want to say to you, this, this does not mean being happy all the time. What it does mean is living by faith with the hope that death is defeated and will not last. In other words, you can be really honestly going through some stuff 
and engaging with that stuff faithfully. Living with hope and in faith, but you may not be giddy with smiles. And that's okay. That's okay. Because living in light of resurrection does not necessarily equate this, this, this tangible laughter. Um, now, sometimes it will. Sometimes the joy of the Lord will come on you, and you just got to have a dance party with your kids. And that's good. And there's great music in the world for that. <laughs> Right, And so it's, so it's not just about, I have to be this, my emotional state has to be this way all the time, but rather it has way more to do with where does my hope lie, what, what am I pushing for, what am I pressing against. It has a lot more with direction and intention than the state of emotion. Are you with me? Death has been defeated. It will not last And the truly lasting things in the world are the things that belong to life. And so here's what we do as the people of God. We do our best with the help of the Spirit of God to offer forgiveness. We press in and pray for healing. We work for peace. We work for peace. We don't just thoughts and prayers for peace. We work for peace as the people of God. We practice generosity. We act justly. We love mercy. We live with love. That's what we're invited to as the people of God, is to live in light of resurrection. Because on that very first Easter Sunday morning, Mary went to the tomb and said, he isn't here. And I have seen the Lord. So the God that we worship is alive today. And the spirit of God can move and work in our hearts to help us live in light of resurrection. We can't do it on our own. I can't do it. I've interacted with some of you for many years. You can't do it. (laughs) And I can't do it. But with God's help and the Spirit leading us, we can press into it and live more and more in light of resurrection. Amen? So here's what I encourage you to do. This morning, I encourage you to take an inventory of your life and heart and ask yourself an important question. Does that, and then fill in the blank, does that attitude, action, habit, disposition, whatever it is, fill in the blank, does that belong to death and all of his friends or does it belong to resurrection and to life? And then lean into the Spirit of God to help you begin to work for peace, pray for healing, offer forgiveness, practice generosity, act justly, love mercy, and live with love.